This is episode number 21 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey everyone, welcome on to another episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. And today we have a very special guest with us all the way from Australia, Amy Dawes. We are going to be talking about birth trauma, which is a topic that I can really resonate with and I'm excited to dive into. I experienced a form, some symptoms of birth trauma following the birth of my first daughter. So this is a topic that is also near and dear to my heart too. So Amy, first of all, before we jump into your bio, thank you so much for being on with us today. Hello. Thank you for having me. I know we've, uh, we've tried to get this up and running a few times and now we're finally here. (laughs) We coordinated the time zones. (laughs) Okay, so Amy, let me just briefly introduce you to our listeners, and then we will dive into all this good stuff that we're going to cover today. So Amy is the mother of two beautiful daughters. She had her first child in 2013, and like many women, she did not identify that she was suffering from birth trauma until she was 16 months postpartum. It was then she was diagnosed with a bilateral levator ani avulsion that eventually resulted in pelvic organ prolapse. As a result, Amy understands firsthand how it feels to have a compromised quality of life, and this fuels her desire to help other women. She is passionate about raising awareness of birth trauma by speaking out about her life-altering injuries sustained through childbirth. She is also using her journey as a map to assist women who find themselves in a similar situation and to educate health professionals to better identify those mothers most at risk and enable them to provide the best support available. Amy's vision is to break down the stigma attached to pelvic floor dysfunction and empower women to feel comfortable speaking out in order to continue driving change for those women deeply affected by birth trauma. All right, Amy, is there anything else we should know about you before we jump in? Um, well, I don't know if you mentioned it, but um, I'm also the, uh, one of the co-founders of the Australasian Birth Trauma Association. So um, it was all of the experience that you've summed up so beautifully that kind of led me to doing what I do now. Um, I'm actually a qualified personal trainer. Um, but I never practiced as one. When I qualified, it was back in 2011, and I always knew I wanted to work with mums in some way, but I didn't quite know how. And then um, when I had my first, I trained as a meditation and mindfulness teacher. So that was really my thing. And then when I found out about my injuries, I I just couldn't I couldn't believe what had happened to me. How had I not heard of of what had happened to me? Like what's a bilateral avulsion, what's a prolapse. As a personal trainer, I thought that was really 
um, strange. And, and, and so I'm, I've also got a massive thirst for learning. And it's through this thirst that I came across the work of my co-founders, Professor Peter Dietz and Elizabeth Skinner. And uh, I was at the time trying to create an online program to help women heal from prolapse through, you know, exercise, mindfulness and um, healthy eating. And then it just so happened that the idea for the Australasian Birth Trauma Association was floated to me and I thought, I can make that happen. So here we are. I've got a new calling now. That's amazing. And, uh, and we definitely have listeners who are expecting or new moms, but also health and fitness professionals. So Amy, can you share a bit more what actually is birth trauma and what are some common symptoms of it? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually, it's interesting because we are called the Birth Trauma Association, but I'm, I'm slowly, even as we only launched last September, but I'm starting to wreck a little bit of the language around birth trauma. So when we talk about birth trauma, we're talking about psychological and or physical trauma. So um, psychological trauma can happen to any, any woman and also their partner or important person that is involved in that birth process. It can happen to a woman that delivers vaginally. It can happen to a woman that delivers vaginally with intervention. It can happen to a woman who has an emergency cesarean or an elective cesarean. Birth trauma is very personal. So what looks like a straightforward process on the outside to one person can completely impact another person. Um, on the flip side of that, there's people that can go through the most complicated of births and, and end up okay on the other side so it's it's a very personal thing psychological impact and when we talk about psychological impact I think naturally um, for a long time that's been labeled as postpartum depression now that can be something that can happen as a result of birth trauma but it's very different um, we are also starting to hear a little bit more about um, post-traumatic stress disorder um, we as a our organization is is not labeling one specific disorder. So we talk about mental disorders. So it could be postnatal depression, it could be OCD, it could be you know extreme depression and anxiety. The problem that we have and that we're a little bit faced with is there is no way to assess a woman for a traumatic birth. Um, so it's, it's very personal. So when we talk about symptoms, it can be a range of symptoms. Um, and I think, hopefully in the future we'll we'll come up with a solution to better identify it um and then so so we talked about psychological and then physical so physical trauma um like in my case and this is why i talk about rephrasing how we talk about birth trauma because at the time i didn't identify my birth as traumatic and and i think a lot of women that face birth injuries some can know that there's something wrong straight away a heavy feeling or um, fecal or urinary incontinence um, but some women like me don't have any symptoms to begin with um, and but they might have had a difficult birth it wasn't necessarily a traumatic birth um, but there are red flags and red flags for possible um, injuries are instruments um, you know uh, I think it's difficult to identify them at the time in that postpartum period because you're so absorbed on your baby. And also it's first time mothers. Um, it, it typically the injuries happen to first time mothers and you've got no benchmark to set it to. You've got nothing to compare it to. You just think it's normal. And like for me, I was 
um, in bed with a catheter for five days. I was finally allowed off that catheter by day five, desperate for some fresh air. I had to be wheeled outside in a wheelchair. I still didn't think, didn't identify how bad I guess that was and, and, and until a long time after. And I'm starting to see a pattern that have experienced birth injuries, that it's, it could be months before they actually go, okay, something's not right. Mm-hmm. This is such a huge topic. And I really, a few things that you said that I really appreciate that this could affect partners too. Who yes, are yes, a big thing. Yeah. And I think that's something that we don't consider really at all. But I think that my husband absolutely experienced some trauma after the birth of our baby. Mm. And secondly, for me, what I experienced was more so post-traumatic stress. And I had really not heard about that in terms of birth trauma too many times before. I didn't have too many clients who had spoke about that. It was more so postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Mm. And those Mm. were not the things that I was feeling. Mm. And the third thing was for me, the birth didn't feel traumatic during, it felt traumatic after. And so that also was kind of shocking to me because I felt really calm and supported during the whole process and then immediately after and it wasn't until a few days after that things started to feel like they were unraveling a little bit Mm. so yeah I feel like the symptoms can just be it's just such a huge range as you were mentioning and what what percentage Amy um that we know in terms of of moms that do experience birth trauma um I don't know for U.S. percentage um I would imagine it would be quite similar, um, but we know here in Australia, because it was uh, it was research undertaken here, actually in the city I live in, in Brisbane, but it's, it's one in three women um, identify their birth as traumatic. Um, and we think it's, our research also suggests that it's about one in four women that can, one in four first time mothers will sustain significant birth injuries. It's a, it's a massive stat. Um, particularly the birth injuries we've talked about with I'm, I am really I mean um, we only co-founded the organization in late 2016 and I am seeing a lot more conversation people talking about being traumatized from birth or their, their bad birth experience but the um, impact of physical trauma is still very much a taboo subject even though we know that there is obviously a significant number of women impacted by it and like Jesse said, partners as well, because you've sustained trauma to, you know, the most um, sacred, I suppose, part of your body. That's going to impact the relationships around you as well. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about the mission of your organization, the Birth Trauma Association? How are you helping to support mom in your work and your services? Mm-hmm. Um, our mission, I, uh, there's, uh, from my side of things, and the reason I was so packed organization was um, a really poignant moment for me in, in my life, I guess, is when I got diagnosed with the, with the levator revulsion, which for those that don't know is when the pelvic floor muscle is detached off the bone. Um, I remember going home from my appointment with the physiotherapist, uh, like you said, 16 months postpartum, and I was told that I should avoid lifting my child and I was told a lot of things that I should avoid doing and I felt really broken and um and I googled um 
birth injury, no, physical birth trauma, I think I Googled and nothing came up. So I thought, wow, I must be the only one. I'm like a freak. I've got this prolapse. I'm obviously a freak. And that's when I went on this sort of fat finding mission. And in my journey, I found support from um, Facebook forums of women that had prolapse. And I found that really useful for my journey, not necessarily useful for other people because it can be, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there when you first discover prolapse. Um, but for me, it was very helpful. I found that sort of peer-to-peer -peer support. So I was connected with two other women that were both really sporty. Um, uh, Jenny Vanderberg, she's a personal trainer and Pilates teacher. And then this amazing woman who was an elite pole dancer. So she's, you know, like the very best that you can be and she judged competitions and um and they were kind of it was amazing to speak to someone that had gone through the journey they were a few years ahead of me and so when the idea came up to launch abta or create abta it was really to create that peer-to-peer -peer, peer -peer support because um when you see a physio often you go to a physio and they tell you things and you're kind of given a lot of information and you go away and you digest it and then you're like i've got loads of questions and you've got to wait until your next appointment it's expensive to go and see your physio weekly so it could be a couple of weeks before you see them so just having someone that you could go hey have you tried this pessary or like does a pessary work for you or you know is this should i use this should i not and um, to talk to someone about things that you like to do, are they doing it? So peer support's a big thing. And the first thing that we did when the charity actually launched last year was set up a private Facebook support group, a safe only for, for women. Um, but it's for women to share their stories if they feel like they can, or it's simply for women to see other women have, have trodden the same path that they have. And um, really excitingly, next month, we launch our peer-to-peer -peer support online program which will include live chats which is a big one for me i think and because i think it will be amazing um and email support and we will have men that or partners that that will be able to support as well so um because it's really important that we acknowledge that partners are impacted by difficult birth experience i mean often the women the woman is she doesn't actually remember that moment necessarily and it's our partners watching you know the house burn down sorry probably a bit much but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and i was curious something um with your association something that you brought up earlier is in terms of helping women identify if they have birth trauma or even just talking through it and i mm. was wondering if your organization has talked to care providers at least in australia to find out how they approach it because as a physio especially when i see moms at six weeks but even years down the road, I give them space to debrief. And then mm. after I ask them, what do they feel? Do they feel it was positive, negative, neutral, without giving it a name? Because you're exactly right how they were talking about earlier. Um, you might hear a story at like a, a birth journey and you might assume it's traumatic and it's not or mm. vice versa. So I'm just mm. curious if you've talked to the care providers because I find it's a mix here in terms of if they're even offered an opportunity to debrief or even if the client wants to debrief with their care provider. Yeah. Um, I didn't really cover that, but actually aside from our mission statement to support women and their families impacted by a difficult birth experience, we also want to work with healthcare providers. 
um, in this short space of time. But one of my co-founders, um, Liz Skinner, she has been a nurse and midwife for 25 years. And um, I'm also really lucky that I have an incredible board of clinicians, including a um, perinatal mental health psychiatrist, um, and uh, you know, a women's health or pelvic health physiotherapist. So I've got some great advice internally. And the one thing that we all agree on is that there is um, that question that you're asking is not being asked. And um, it starts with, I guess, I don't know what it's like in the US, but typically for a woman um, in that, you know, the postpartum period is up to six weeks, right? And um, it's usually the obstetrician if they've gone private, maybe the midwife or a GP um, that will give them the all clear. Now, it's difficult for um, any of these professions to know everything. And what we find is that perhaps this question isn't being asked, how was your birth experience? And I think it's really important that that question is asked because that can lead that that's a very clear message on how the woman's feeling. And at six weeks, she might have some, she might have had some time to process it. She certainly isn't going to have time to process it in the hospital. I know I didn't. I look at my birth notes, which I've got from the hospital and it says I was happy with the forceps outcome. I didn't know what had happened to my body, you know? Um, so we really want to work with healthcare providers and stress the point that it's extremely important to have that conversation. Um, and in the turn, in, in, in with the physical injuries, it typically is a really good pelvic health physio that is actually identifying that, that, that the woman's been impacted by a difficult birth because it, unless you do flag something in that six week postpartum, I feel a lot of women kind of disappear you know, that the duty of care is handed over from the midwife or from the obstetrician. So it's really up to the GP to identify it. And it's very difficult for a GP to do that. I mean, I had some significant red flags on my discharge notes, but he didn't, you know, they, they're not checking the integrity of your pelvic floor. So um, it's, it's at this stage, and from speaking to so many women, it seems really luck of the draw, how lucky you are with your care. Like I'm quite a vocal person. Um, and I talk about my experiences, but for those of us that bury their feelings, it's probably even harder for them to find help. Um, so, and, and what about women? Cause I happen to go to a clinic to help, um, learn how to soothe my baby to sleep. And it was just going to that clinic by potluck that they said, how was your birth? I told them about it and they were like, would you like to speak to somebody? And so I did, but what about those women that don't seek help? You know, it's just, it's luck of the draw. And I think there needs to be more of a process in place about how we support women. Yeah, fantastic. Can you tell us more about your experience after the birth of your first baby that took you down this road to be educating and working in the realm of birth trauma? It's a funny one because as I've said, as we've touched upon already, I really didn't realize quite what happened to me. Um, I knew I'd sustained a third degree tear, but, and I think a lot of women do tend to hear perennial tears and they know that that can happen, but you don't actually know the impact of a perennial tear um, on your long-term well-being. Um, and obviously it depends on the severity of it, but a third degree is considered quite severe. Um, and I was lucky that 
I, I actually did have fecal incontinence, but I was lucky that in time over the postpartum period that improved and I no longer have it. Although I do have to manage my bowel movements meticulously and I, I, I don't know what it's, I'm 37 now, so I don't know what it's going to be like when I'm older. Um, I think crucially, even though I knew there was some, I, I, I was told there was bleeding and I'd had to have pads inserted inside me during the procedure of me up to stem the bleeding I needed a blood transfusion as I said to you I just didn't know how severe it was um, and I was in a public health system so uh, but the obstetrician that happened to be on duty that day the registrar that delivered my baby um, he saw me at six weeks and I remember asking him at the time um, will I be able to exercise like I used to and he said oh, what exercise do you do and I said I love weightlifting and he said yeah, fine you've been through a lot so my advice is that you see um a women's health physiotherapist but um yeah it should be fine so i did and she got me doing sort of safer exercises i really got into pilates reformer um but i always thought that i would be okay and um at about just over a year postpartum i was having painful sex um and i thought and i told my mum because we're quite open and uh she said you should um, I don't feel like your birth was right you should get in touch with the hospital and I thought well I quite liked the guy that delivered my baby so I'll track him down because I knew he worked as a private obstetrician as well and I did and long story short he performed surgery to remove scar tissue and when I went for my postnatal checkup with him he said to me I said to him again can I well two things that should have been red flags for him where I said like I literally he said you know you get you're having sex I said no I've got no libido and I um, I can't help you with that. You need to speak to someone else. But that should have been a red flag. Like I'm a I was a 34 year old woman that I should have a normal sex life, right? But anyway, that was one part of it, and the other part of it was me again asking, would I be able to exercise like I used to? And his advice to me was, you should just live the life you want, and if you prolapse, you can just have surgery once you finish having kids. Again, he was so blasé about prolapse that I didn't really know. And uh, of course, I did go on to prolapse. I did still take it easy, but yeah, I ended up prolapsing because I just thought I was okay. I did not know the severity of my injuries. And here's the thing that I always say about prolapse, because you can't see it, no one knows it's there. So no one really knows just how much you're suffering. And for six months, I just, I went on a spiral and I thank myself for this day. Well, thank my circumstance this day that I was 16 months postpartum. So I was already very bonded with my daughter. Um, she, you know, she has the love, she's the love of my life. Um, well, one of three, like I should keep it fair, but, um, I, I do feel lucky that I found out later because I can understand why women really struggle to bond with their children. When you've got something happening with your body that you didn't even know was possible in my circumstance, it's my bladder, not sitting where it should be I, I couldn't get my head around the fact that how had I not heard of prolapse how is this so common because I found out how common it was and yet I haven't heard about it so that's what fuels my passion to do what I do now and then can you share a bit about your second pregnancy so preparing uh, for that birth thinking um, about postpartum uh, yeah. what did that all feel like for you after your first experience I guess I have to be really honest here. So, because um, I can't be anything but, and I, my experience is my experience, and I hope it's different for other people. It took me a long time to even be ready to have a second, first and foremost. 
Um, I didn't feel like I, I, I always knew I wanted a, a, a reasonable age gap. So that was kind of on my side. There was no rush. I'd never imagined having two young kids sort of close together. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if I would have ever fully been ready, but I really wanted to give my daughter a sibling. My partner also wanted another child and I felt like I needed to give my daughter a sibling. And, uh, I found the second pregnancy tough in comparison to the first. The first was amazing. I just breezed through it. I don't have any morning sickness or anything like that. So I'm lucky in that regard, but obviously my prolapse seemed, um, significant. Um, in the first trimester and the third trimester. And um, uh, I found it quite stressful worrying about what was happening with my prolapse because I usually wear a pessary, um, which is obviously a device for those that don't know, the device to hold your organs in place. Um, and I couldn't throughout the pregnancy. So I found that quite stressful. I found like juggling pregnancy with a toddler and a prolapse quite hard. And then my little this one, you can see her head there, um, came into the world and she was like a different baby. So my first, I always say, knew that she was born of a traumatic birth. So she was pretty easy. Like that first week in hospital, she was so chilled. I don't really remember her crying, but that doesn't mean anything because I could have etched it from my brain like you do. Um, but uh, by day three with Indy, she just she just cried and wouldn't stop. And I never remember that with my first. And I remember my partner and I just exchanging a look where we're just, I know we were both thinking, what have we done? Um, and, and those sort of early, you know, I mean, I'm not a post, I'm not someone that like loves that early postpartum stage. I find it incredibly hard. I found it really hard with a toddler because she was sick and I was like, the kid germs, no. And, um, you know, everyone talks about second baby being easier. I found it less the worry. And I think that, um, I, well, I went to see a child health nurse and I was diagnosed with um, postnatal depression within two weeks of Indy being born. I actually don't think it was. I think it was post prolapse depression because I would never have seen a GP for depression or gone to see a GP about my prolapse because I had a great physio. Um, so I never see GPs, so they would never see how I am, but I know a huge part of me shifted when, um, I was diagnosed with prolapse and, um, in that early postpartum stage where you're kind of a slave to a baby and you're constantly picking up and putting down and picking up and putting down, uh, I found it very hard and my anxiety levels went up and to be completely honest, that first year of this one's life was probably one of the hardest. Um, hardest years for me. Yeah, but it's all good. Really, <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> I really appreciate your honesty with that because, yeah, the factoring in the birth trauma was one of the biggest reasons why I was so set against having another baby, becoming pregnant again for so mm. long. And mm. when I got pregnant, which was unplanned this time. Those were the first thoughts that came to me that now I was going to go back into trauma. Like there was no way I was going to avoid it this time. Thinking about which way I wanted to birth this baby. It felt like walking into a fire because there was no good option. Yeah. So I know for you, you chose an elective C-section. I did. With I did. Yeah. yeah. How was that experience for you? 
So that is the positive, actually, because firstly, I feel like I now know both modes of delivery. So um, that's an interesting hindsight, but it's probably worth saying that an elective cesarean is from an emergency cesarean. And often when we talk about cesarean sections and, um, and the negative connotations around cesarean, I think it is those that experience an emergency cesarean because it, it obviously it it's a different kettle of fish but for me i found it i found peace with the fact that i mean at first i had some guilt attached oh you know she's and this is the same with my first you know she must get the antibodies through the birth canal <laughs> um like some of that concern but it was awesome knowing when she was going to be born it was awesome knowing i won't have to experience labor again and it was incredibly cathartic to be out walking my newborn in a pram at a week postpartum when with my first my much wanted vaginal birth I was in hospital for seven days so that is a massive positive I went private this time because I, I needed that continuity of care I needed to trust the person that was going to be delivering her um, so that that we were lucky that we were in a position to afford that that, that that's a definite positive about my second birth yeah and what uh, what can you share with moms what can they do for themselves especially in the early postnatal period to seek support if they mm. think or they know they're experiencing birth trauma mm. talk to people don't suffer in silence um i think there's there's two because you said obviously with your podcast you get pregnant women listening to it as well and it's really important that i, I stress that um, there obviously are many, many women that can have a great birth experience. Um, I wish I'd had, for example, a doula that didn't have a specific um, agenda, like all women should birth vaginally, but a doula that could support me through that process. I didn't hear of a doula until after I had my first. Um, and if I was going to do it again, all over again that's what I would have done but in that postpartum period I think it's really important to not suffer in silence lean on your partner ask for help um, I made sure I had um, my, my parents staying with us as well as my partner so I had a lot of in-house support um, I don't know what it's like where you are but certainly in the city I'm in it's quite um, uh, you know there's a lot of expats so there's a lot of expats that don't have family support um so find your village and the more open you are with your own story the more you might encourage other people to speak out too because we we should never suffer and shame for feeling the way we feel if it hasn't turned out the way we want and regarding regarding physical injuries um if something doesn't feel right seek help and if you're dismissed find somebody else because you know your body and um you know just continue to to find that uh, seek help i think is a big thing I, I i do hear a lot of women told that it's normal it might be normal um, but it's not okay so yes seek help speak out yeah, that's great advice. And then we also have listeners who are health professionals, physios, fitness professionals, things of that nature. What do you recommend for the health professionals in the crowd who might be working with a mom postpartum and suspecting birth trauma is being experienced for that person? I mean, it's, it's obviously you've got um, each healthcare provider, but if we start with um, fitness professionals, um, I just can't stress the importance of 
it's not okay just to find out, um, you know, are you a mum? Tick box. Uh, you need to be asking how that birth was. You need to be looking for those red flags. You need to be brave enough to start that conversation. And that goes for anybody working with postpartum women. Start the conversation. But for fitness professionals, um, a woman's, we know a woman's a postpartum forever. And while she might look okay on the outside, you need to make sure she's okay from the inside. And, and that's not within your scope of practice. So it's probably worth fitness professionals actually collaborating with a, um, a pelvic health physiotherapist. Um, it's a great way to cross refer and make sure that you really are credible when you're working with postpartum women. And then for other healthcare providers, this is a real problem. Um, it's not in women's heads start the conversation and that conversation can be how was your birth and whatever it sounds like to you remember for her she, her life could be completely changed so where can we learn more about your work and about the australian birth trauma association amy yeah so um we've got a website which is birthtrauma.org.au um, whilst we are the Australasian Birth Trauma Association, we support people globally. Um, I believe that we're one of the very few uh, charities that are raising awareness for physical trauma, not just psychological trauma. So there's lots of advice about um, physical symptoms, um, what you should, what you can do to um, get to seek help. Um, we've also got um, a private Facebook support group, which you can find through our website. And I just want to mention that um, this July 1st to the 8th, um, we're at Trauma Awareness Week, where we're hoping to raise awareness for the physical and psychological consequences of a traumatic birth. And we want women and their families to know that there is help. Um, so you can do your bit by purchasing one of these t-shirts, which says your story matters because your story does matter. And 100% um, and of the proceeds go to our organization. Um, if you feel like you're able to we really encourage women or their partners to send in a um either written or filmed version of what they experience with their traumatic birth um details of that are, are on our web website that, that's basically it <laughs> it's fantastic i really so appreciate that you're putting the emphasis on the psychological and the physical aspects of traumatic birth. I think that is really important for people to hear. So thank you, Amy, so much for being on with us. We really love having this conversation with you and to open this up and to share your story and to give hope and encouragement to people to share their story too. Yeah, there's so much hope. I do want to say that it's hope is the word. That's what we hope to um, convey to people that do um, come to us for help so thank you so much for having me I'm glad we can make the time difference work in the end <laughs> yes me too and all yeah. those links that Amy mentioned will be in the show notes so if you are looking to learn more head there and all the information will be available for you on the next episode we will be speaking about pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy and postpartum and what we can do to actively treat and manage those discomforts, not simply live with them long-term. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 